Hey, Peppin. Yo, 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 yo. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about, uh, like, some of the people that I know. Oh, like Santa? I, wait, I don't know Santa. Do you, can you introduce me? Well, I do have an elf friend, and he said he knew Santa, but I thought you knew Santa because you knew the elf friend, so we have, like, a mutual connection, but I was hoping you were no. to be. Oh, okay. No, un- unfortunately, I don't, but... Uh, that's I, th- I think that's really cool that like we have mutual friends in that way i there's there's one person that um one of my coworkers, uh really really interesting i'd love to to bring her on and have you meet her i think you guys would really have some fascinating conversations what do you think that sounds exciting is it john it's not john i don't know who that is oh is it katie it is it's katie okay i am ready for this I think we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you guys could join me. I am here once again with my best friend, Nathan Pepin. How's it going today, Pepin? Yo, yo, I'm here. I am tired, but guess what? I have a drink of energy to keep me, um, like, from falling asleep. So I'm here. <laughs> That's fair enough. I do as well. We are joined today by a very special guest, my good friend, Katie. How's it going today, Katie? It is going well. I'm on my fourth cup of coffee, so I'm good to go. Ooh. Fair enough. Uh, you don't see. You don't seem the type to me to actually like need coffee to to energize you. You you to me. You seem naturally energetic. That is an absolute correct statement. I just like the taste. That's fair. That's super fair. Um. So I mean, I I know you've you've listened to the show. Um. And when you and I have had so many conversations, Katie, where I've been like the this Katie's absolutely insane but also hilarious and and insane isn't a bad thing um and i think i couldn't even imagine in my head conversations between you and pepin because pepin says the most outlandish things sometimes um and so do you so i thought i think having the two of you talking would be fascinating to me personally and make for great radio which from my understanding you're very interested in radio katie I love radio. I love talk radio because I love to talk. Well, I think that's something we need to do. Uh, so there, there was um, there was one thing you said to me the other day that I thought was really funny. And it was about a topic we've talked about on the show before, zombies. Ugh. <laughs> now, what makes you say, ugh? The sound of a zombie makes me... It brings out physical anger. Like, I hate it more than life itself. You had said, you had said to me, if there was a zombie apocalypse, you would kill yourself through sacrifice. Not because of fear. Not because the, the world's over you and, and everything you know is gone. Not because of anything like that. Not because of loss. But because of the sound of the zombies would irritate you too much absolutely i fucking hate sound of a zombie i hate it more than life itself i think my absolute dislike for zombie sounds was one of the um, video games i don't play a lot of video games but 
is made into movies. You know what I'm talking about. Resident Evil. So, okay. Is the sound of a zombie, like, the rustle and the bustle of the clothes and the feet dragging across the floor? Or is it more like the, uh, uh, brains? Like, like what, what, what's the sound oh. of a zombie to you? Oh, it's the... So, so just Constant like... sound. I don't know if that, like, did it justice over computer. No, that, was, that was perfect. It literally, I hate it. I hate every part of it. If I was walking through the woods, constantly wondering if I was going to hear that, I think I would freak out all the time. Not, not constantly wondering if I'm going to be attacked by a zombie, but if I'm going to hear that noise. No, because I'm like, I can be crazy. So if I was with my family or whatever, and I thought they were going to be eaten, like I would go all crazy, like fucking house on these zombies. Like they'd kill them. Hardcore. But the thought of listening to that for months, years, my entire life, like, I just throw myself off a freaking cliff. It would be terrible. So what would be potential remedies? Like earplugs or, like, I don't know, like, moving slightly away? Like, noise <laughs> isolated? They're, less they're drastic than suicide? Everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, earphones, or not earphones, but earplugs would probably work okay. But then, guess then I wouldn't hear them, so I'd get eaten anyways. Okay, that's fair point. you know what yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, can't argue oh. with that. Uh, what caused you to come to this conclusion? Was it just like watching a zombie movie and just be like, eh, yeah, no, or was it just uh, a, a natural sort of uh, evolution of your personality? Uh, nope, not an evolution. I think that I just would watch um, stupid reason. It just didn't like it, and then zombie movies started happening, and it's just. Oh, the Walking Dead. You would rather die than watch it. Terrible. So, are there other sounds that are similar that you can't stand? Like, so for instance, when people die, it's a kind of similar sound. I mean, it's supposed to be like a elongated death with zombies. So, let's say in a movie, uh, Game of Thrones or something like that, someone dies. Is it similar kind of like ugh, kind of feel? Yeah, I mean, I guess the death rattle is not my fave. I've been around a death rattle and kind of haunts me a little bit mm. morbid um but yeah no i mean i would say the other sounds that like absolutely drive me insane are like i don't know i think well people that eat weird like <sighs> slurping soup you and meter have something in common mm -hmm. that's the worst oh my like god the the like soup like <sighs> Oh, God, why do you have to go in? Why do you have to make it such a process? Just why do you have to go the in? The soup, damn it. So, so would you prefer just like, you know, like, I don't know, you, you get fully in without touching any parts of your mouth, just kind of close your mouth, so. and then just kind of like know. dump the spoon upside down and then pull it. Oh, actually, that's a good yeah, thing. I, I don't know. I don't know how you can like not make the sound because if you don't slurp, you hear somebody kind of taking that, like, going into the spoon. So that's almost equally as terrible. My daughter likes to drink her um, chocolate milk with a spoon, and that, like, legit enrages me as well. Okay. Now, how about, like, soup with a straw? Like I could totally take the soup with a straw. I'd rather that. Like, of course, like, the the noodles and stuff would be kind of tough with it, but maybe there's an extra big straw and it's just a little okay. awkward. 
is because then all of a sudden you'd get that random chunk that would like slurp through the straw and hit the back of your throat and that would be terrible as well or you could take the soup and just like i don't know uh what's that thing you do blend it and just have blended soup yeah make a smoothie yeah soup smoothie (laughs) you heard it here first folks okay the soup of the future So I think we found one solution here to uh, a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what if you what if you froze soup, and then you chopped it off like with a chisel, and you ate it in like chunks? Yeah, I could go and it for turned that. To soup in, it turned to soup in your mouth. I'd be there for it. I'm also... thinking of it like like Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future. Oh yeah. This is the Dippin' Dots of soup. Well, you know, stock is really healthy for you. I as and you know, um, I make my own own broth for pretty much every kind of broth, and I will drink it, especially and like in the fall and the winter, to keep my immunity up. To do that, you boil bones, right? Bones. Well, okay. So, little fun fact: um, I've raised meat for our family for a really long time. Okay. Um, and so basically after we process the, um, the birds and stuff, we toss everything into the stock and heads, eat bones, organs, whatever. And you just burn, like boil it and then you get all the nutrients and be damn good. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a consideration of say utility and that you're trying to use most every part of the animal or is it a more consideration of hey this makes awesome bone broth like let's do it i'd say both um it's definitely something when you're you know raising animals for a purpose you want to make sure you're not wasting them yeah we definitely it for that purpose as well but um i have a lot of like digestional issues and you read where like bone broth kind of helps with that and Oh, and it gives you a lot of like, I don't know, I think sanitizer is Satan. So I feel like this keeps me healthy. Hold on. Let's back up to that. <laughs> I hate hand sanitizer. Uh, poor K. Because it kills all the good bacteria on your hands and people need to like get dirty and build up their immunity. And if you're just killing everything, then you're never gaining any kind of immune system. I mean, I kind of like putting hand sanitizer on my hands because it, it does kill everything. Good, bad, ugly. It's cool. Yeah, you can just wash your hands, though. I don't know. That seems like too much work. It does <laughs> seem like a lot of work. Yeah. Or you can just be a filthy animal like me and bite your nails all the time, and I never get sick. That's You know what? That's a really, that's a really good idea. Um, we, that's why I, like, I just lick raw chicken. Keeps you nice and healthy. The smell of raw chicken. It's not great. Oh, boy. (laughs) So do you, so you raise your own animals, is that right? Or are you just like, uh, I I know some people, what they do is they buy animals from a farm, but the farm person like raises them and then they'll slaughter them and then they buy like the animal later. Is that what you're doing? Or are you actually like raising them from say, like, like taking care of them? Yeah, no, actually, we have raised, so my daughter is, well, my son, so I think we started the year before my son was born, and he's going to be nine, and um, basically trying to have the land provide for us, because we had 
decent yard and it was kind of just a hobby. Um, so we ordered chickens, ducks, turkeys from hatcheries, um, and then they mail them to us. We go pick them up at the post office. Um, and then we set up a bunch of stuff and we raise them. So we've done uh, ducks, chickens, turkeys, sheep, pigs. That's it. Oh, and we um we breed and raise rabbits for meat. Oh, rabbit meat? So, is, is that is that real? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Do many people? I don't hear about too many people eating rabbits in this area. I'm not no, sure. No, because people look at it and it has a face and it's cute and it's all fuzzy and stuff. So people have them for pets, but it is um not in the United States. Everywhere else, not uncommon to eat. It's very expensive, which is why we started raising our own. Right, right. Makes sense. And so you raise these animals and then at some point you slaughter them? Yes. Uh, and you also breed them, I assume, or is it just uh, raising them? Just the rabbits. Everything else we raise. Mm -hmm. We'll get like baby, you know, young sheep, um, eggs, and, but the rabbits we, we breed. Oh, the, so you, you're getting these birds post-egg. Yes, they hatch, so they ship They ship them, order however many you want, and then as soon as they hatch, they send um, the chicks in the mail, and then the post office calls you and you go get them. So you get, like, little fuzzy birds. Baby birds. So you must, you do this, like, in the spring or whatever? Yeah, usually um, we'll do, like, a batch of chickens in the spring, and then in the summer we'll get... Um, get some turkeys and then we'll do another batch of chickens in the fall and duck we like duck as well so do duck and in this um and as well in the fall because these birds are geared to grow quickly so you have like an eight week service for chickens and a 12-ish week service for ducks and turkeys take a whole season to get to where they need to be when i was growing up we raised animals uh we had chickens and um, pigs, uh, that was the majority of it. Um, chickens, man, those things smell so bad. Yeah, they're really gross. There's a lot of cleaning that goes involved, that's involved with it. And so a lot of people that buy their own, like their birds and stuff from farms, like not a lot of people clean as crazy as we do their space, especially in the summer, because it is, you're exactly right. Like they're fucking filthy. Which kind of keeps us from buying meat at the store because once you've raised your own animals and you see where, how disgusting they really are, you have to think of like the plants that clearly are not going to be as clean because there's so many more birds mm -hmm. and it kind of makes you never want to buy meat again. Nate, do you think you could be farmer? Uh, probably eventually. I mean, it, it, Right now, it's a thing that I can outsource, so I want to outsource it. It's like, you know, it's like I could give myself a massage, but it's much better for someone else to give me a massage. So same kind of way, like I don't have to farm, so I don't want to farm. But let's say zombie apocalypse and I hear those sounds and I think, hey, let's start farming. I mean, that's something I would could see myself doing. I, I, I have a slight issue like instinctively with killing things i don't like killing flies and stuff like that i try to save them unless they're like mosquitoes and stuff but you know if it came down to my survival versus you know 
something else to survival, that other thing's going down. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind farming. It seems like a smart option, especially if, if it's a survival situation. Because it doesn't make sense to, to forge out. It makes more sense to contain in and to create a fence around something and try to breed mm. and sustainability and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if you, how you do having to kill something because it's not, I, I don't like it either myself. That's not fun. Katie, do you actually do any of the killing? God, um, no. Um, I have had to kill a couple of turkeys simply because John wasn't home to do it. And they were, for whatever reason, like suffering. And it was extremely traumatic. Uh, I think nine or ten year old daughter at the time practically had to hold my hand and talk me through it as I was sobbing and apologizing to the turkey that I had to uh, take its life. Um, but we didn't want it to suffer. So it was they're cruel to this animal that is going to give us good meat or have its misery. So I did it, but that is the only time I did it. I just packaged the shit. Like, comes to me like what you would see in a grocery store. I cut it up in freezer bags and on its way. I don't, but my daughter, who is now 12, is like a freaking beast she's so small and tiny and girly and nobody would ever like really look at her and think that chick and freaking spin a rabbit like nobody's business and she can hmm. now it's kind of interesting there's a dichotomy with yourself because at least from like a instinctive perspective if you were to say to be raising animals and kind of for, for slaughter that you would not have such empathy or kind of uh, hesitation with killing the animal yourself. Because for me, if I was raising the animal, it'd probably be pretty easy to kill the animal. Uh, it's like I met uh, a, a girl who had a farm and uh, it, it's like she had a weird relationship with the animals because she loved them all. And she's like, oh, hey, this is Bessie the pig. And it's a giant fucking pig. And she's like, yeah, we're going to eat him soon. And it, it's like she just had this weird relationship with the animals. And it's kind of interesting that you don't necessarily have that yourself or the, the same relationship that I noticed in her. I mean, no, I think, I think it depends. Like when we first had our pigs, we got two pigs and we raised them from them when they were little and their names were pork and chop. Um, Cause my kids like to name animals, but you know, we're going to eat them. So we don't want them to get too attached. Um, but I think that we, um, so one of the pigs was more friendly than the other, although they were great pigs. And so we actually contemplated like a little bit using her as a breeder, um, but then realized that like, it's just not. But I don't know, we teach our kids that like, this is where your meat comes from. You treat them with caring and kindness while they're alive and then they'll provide well for you. Like there is a period of like warning, I think for us because you go from having a shit ton of stuff to do, having nothing to do, but they're just really respectful and caring to the animals while they're alive. Mm. Just been a really great lesson for my kids. It, I, it was super interesting because you mentioned like, you know, you the killing you had to do is a mercy killing, which I think is like feels different than when it's not a mercy killing because like my cat brings in mice all the time and they're maimed and not able to survive. So, and he doesn't kill them, 
So I have to be the one to actually do the killing of the animal that he brings to me. And that's completely out of mercy. It doesn't make it feel any better. Uh, but at least, like, logically, I can be like, well, this is the right thing to do. Um, versus, like, killing something that's completely alive right now. I feel like that might hit a little differently. Which I have done that, too, as a, as a hunter. But that also is a different feeling completely. I don't know. Like, John's always been the one to kill this stuff. And, I mean, he doesn't take, like, he's not like, woo, this is super exciting. I can't wait to get my hands bloody. Um, but for him, he found it as a research project kind of thing. So finding the most humane way to kill animals so that they're not feeling um, pain is kind of our motivation. Mm. One thing that's kind of interesting is that it, it, it's like, so, so animals are very cruel or animals don't care and I, I, in general. So you might see certain animals like say tigers and lions where, you know, it seems like they try to kill their, you know, spray their, their prey and take them out of their misery. But that's more like a strategic thing because, you know, they kill them quickly. They're not going to escape. So there's certain aspects of that. But like, honestly, like animals don't care about other animals suffering for the most part unless it's going to like, say, be detrimental to them. Uh, there's videos out there of like, say, a monkey. Or, no, sorry, it's not monkeys. It's, I think it's an orangutan. I forget what it is exactly, but they essentially will raid other like little monkeys, uh, like habitats, and they will kind of sweep in, grab a monkey, and then this starts eating its head just while it's still alive. <laughs> and there's like very, very brutal stuff happens. Uh, same with lots of like insects. They do that kind of stuff. Insects are the worst, but it, it's like this idea of kind of uh, civility or say not having something suffer is a very kind of human quality. Some people would argue that it's not a very heaping quality, but, you know, I don't think we really see it across the animal kingdom. And it's a degree that we do see animals being, say, uh, uh, benevolent. It's very, it's, it's very questionable. Like, e even sometimes when you watch these videos of animals being bros, it's like, like there's a video I saw of, what was it? There's this like zebra crossing like a, a water and then like this uh, crocodile came out of nowhere and kind of started snatching the zebra and this hippo comes out of nowhere and kind of like tries to save the zebra and kind of like nudges it and stuff i mean more like he was just kind of trying to annoy the crocodile and then the zebra doesn't end up getting away gets caught again and then you know the zebra just kind of like keeps yelping and the hippo just gets kind of like annoyed and just clenches on the zebra and it's like oh. like this hippo is playing a game that we don't understand it does not actually care about the zebra. It just was trying to create some trouble. Listen, I fully understand Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> Play God, that game listen. all the time. <laughs> that game. You don't realize how loud that game is until you're a parent. You think it's going to be an amazing game for your kids to play together. And then you realize that it's, it's really four not. four pieces of plastic slapping against another piece yep, of plastic yep. for hours. Yeah, yeah, that was all. Yeah, we uh, made sure those little balls were gone very quickly. I have no idea where those balls went. I guess we can't play the game. Let's throw it away. <laughs> the little life life hacks. So, um, something else you said, um, you know, when you had to had to actually do a killing was the you were like apologizing um, to the animal, which is super interesting because when I.
I um I was bow hunting for the first time this last season. Uh and I actually got a deer and I first I shot it and it like hit it in it was walking away from me. It hit it in its back and like spined it. So it went probably fifty feet and then just like laid down and was obviously in a lot of pain, unable to move. So I went, I, you know, got down from the tree and went over into an area where I could get a clear view on it and shot it right, right through the, the heart. Um, so it was going to bleed out in like less than a minute. So then I went up to it and it was still a little bit alive and I was able to, to talk to it and like thank it for its sacrifice and let it know it's going to good use. Um, and like kind of just commune with nature a little bit in that way. For me, that meant something. It was sentimental. Uh, you know, whether it meant anything in the grand scheme of life, probably not. Um, to the deer, obviously, probably not. Mm. Uh, but to me, that that was kind of an important thing, and, and it was interesting. I do think animals pick up on tone, whether they understand the exact words or not. I think the words you choose to use convey certain things, and how you say them conveys it just as much, if not more, than what your the words actually are. So I think a lot of times we put more emphasis on words than we need to, when really it's tone, body language, things like that, that mean way more that animals fully understand. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't know. I think that makes you like not a serial killer if you value a life, even if it's an animal. Like if you're going hunting and you like shoot the deer and there's never a moment where you're like, I don't know, thanks for being alive for a second so you can feed me at one point. Then I feel like you're just kind of like emotionless. I think no matter what, at the end of the day, it's still life. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate people. Like when I say that we treat the animals well, like that's just because it's the right thing to do. I don't cry over every chicken or whatever, and neither do my kids. But like, just even that last day, being very caring of that animal, just, I don't know, makes you human, makes you a good person. I, I'm having a hard time with that one uh, because it, it's like me, not personally, because, you know, I, I would have that sort of sense. But I'm just trying to like imagine more ancient cultures and societies and it's like if it's something you need to do to live, like, you, like in some technical sort of way, you're thankful the animal's there to sustain you. Like, because if it wasn't, you know, you'd probably be starving. But it, it's it's kind of this predator and prey at that moment. Like, you know, the tiger is thankful that there's a gazelle there, but the tiger's not like, say, thank you for your sacrifice. This is kind of going to eat you because that's what it does. And I think if you're in a survival situation... Which maybe it's because we're not in that survival situation, which makes it different. It's also slightly that we have high level of cognizance, but I, I I think you know you can be in that situation where it's say normal to not have that sort of like thank you. It's just kind of like thank God I'm gonna eat right now because yeah th th this is tasty. Uh, I need to live. It's more self centric than it is like about the the prey. Mm. No, I mean I. I get that animalistic side, but it's just, it's not, that's not really where my mind ends up going naturally. I, I stick way more on the side of like understanding that this was, this is a life that has just 
spent now i also get satisfaction out of the the thought that this life has lived in the wild you know so it's it's a more natural space for it to have it lived its whole life with other ambitions and and things like that you know it lived without in its natural habitat versus like its entire purpose being food that was its purpose after death but not necessarily its purpose during life and i think that for me gave me a closer connection to nature in and of itself than um raising an animal would or, or shooting something that i had raised which has its own purpose super important but i think they're very different in the when it comes to the act of actually taking the life mm -hmm. and, and i think that that kind of translates to the to some of my theories in general about like having pets and stuff like my cat go it goes outside and am i am i am i worried because he could die yeah there was a bobcat sitting on my porch the other night and the cat came running back in with its tail all puffed up and i look outside and there's a bobcat sitting there so i'm like that's scary so i shut the windows for the night the cat stayed in that night but the next day the windows are back open the bobcat's gone it's probably in another quadrant of the entire town now so it's not it's my responsibility to protect something that can't protect itself but it's not my responsibility to prevent it from living so i think if he wants to go outside he should be able to go outside and is there a chance he dies yeah there's a chance i die there's a chance any of us die anytime we there's a chance he could die inside so at least in this instance he's still living his own life and making his own decisions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's very it's like i haven't heard that perspective before i mean I've heard it from you, obviously, but I haven't heard anyone else say it, so I really enjoyed that perspective. Katie, do you have any thoughts on that, or can you relate to that at all? Um, I am not as... I mean, I totally understand where Steve is coming from, and that makes complete sense to me, but we have barn cats, and they are just amazing. I love them. They're fabulous, and I panic when I don't see them in the morning or in the afternoon. Like one of our barn cats was hit by a car on the road and oh, we, I cried and my daughter, it was like everything. And these are cats that like literally live outside, never have come inside except when it's too cold and we put them in the basement or whatever. And so we get nervous if we don't see one of the barn cats. So I appreciate that they can roam around and they live their own life. But me as a animal lover they have a hard time because to me, a cat is more of a pet. Whereas like a chicken is not. Mm -hmm. And, and oh. I don't disagree. It's scary. Uh, there are at least once a week, Tim doesn't come home at the normal time. Sometimes not even before I go to bed Ugh. and I'm scared. Um, but I, it is what it is. You know, it's not, it's okay to be scared because I love him, but it's not okay to let my fear rule his world. That's just not fair to me. Yeah. And Tim likes to go outside a lot too. So if you said, no, you can't go outside, his quality of life wouldn't be. Very. He cares more about going outside than any other creature I've ever met in my life. He He's not motivated by food. He's not motivated by affection. He's only, he would, if I gave him a, a full tuna fish steak, and an open window, he would rather go outside. Now, of course, later he 
could eat that steak. But if there, if there were the choice between just those two things, he would choose outside every single time. That's his quality of life. And it is being a good cat owner. You need to make sure that they are happy. And of course there's a, there's a, a, a line there because if, you know, like you're saying, that's his quality of life. So if he didn't care about going outside, um, his whole life and he was an indoor cat and he never learned how to protect himself or he was, he didn't have, uh, the tools to protect himself, completely different story. Uh, then it's on me to protect that animal because I, they can't protect themselves. I wouldn't let a pet mouse roam around outside. They would get lost, never come home and just die in the wild. Like instantly. That's a completely different. I think that's a completely different fish. Yeah, there, there's certain arguments there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go kind of very broad here, but it's like a lot of domesticated animals we have, like they are so genetically modified from where they originally were that they can't survive in the wild. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you put a dog out in the wild, it's not going to survive. Or if it does, it's going to be very brutish and kind of strange. It's not going to work out very well. Uh, if you I mean, certainly just dogs out in the wild, it's just wolves and, uh, you know, coyotes that can survive. But, you know, it, it's not the same as like a house dog. Uh, same with just like house cats. You know, it's possible they might be able to get around for a bit, but they're not, you know, animals that belong out in the wild because it's just not how they've been bred over these generations. Uh, same with like chickens and cows, like chicken, like modern chickens and cows, they're descendants from, say, previous animals, but those previous animals are way way different and they, they've been so changed that they don't have that same sense to live out in the world and it, the same is even true of uh, animals which are not bred in captivity but there's certain animals that they rescue so there's the instance of that uh i forgot the whale's name but they the whale that uh starred in free willy let's just call him willy and that whale was rescued and it was, you know, inhabited in uh, wherever that was, uh, I forget what the park was called, but, you know, it did tricks and everything. And uh, there's a whole campaign after the movie to free Willie. And so eventually they did it, you know, at the you know behest of the public. But, you know, researchers like saying, don't do this. This is a bad idea. This thing has been in its like enclosures for most of its life. It doesn't actually know how to survive out in the wild. Like orcas are a very social creature, and if you put them out there, he's just going to be lonely, sad, and what's up happening? He goes out there to study them, and yeah, he just didn't know what he was doing, and started starving, and just everything went wrong, and they found him dead, washed up on the shore pretty soon. So, oh. it, 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 it's it's one of those things where the animals we have they're they're different than say I don't know wild animals to a large degree. Same thing with a lion. Like people have pet lions, but pet lions are still lions. Like they might be restraint. They might have, you know, some aspects of like, oh, yeah, it's a pet. But, you know, that thing is probably going to kill you at some point or, you know, it, it could just snap like that because it really does not care about you in, in some way. Maybe it does, maybe on, on some level, but, you know, that animal instinct could come out where you're not really worried about your dog. You're a cat doing that to you for the most part. Like it might get a little bit snippy, but it's not going to bite your face off. Mm. Uh, I I think it a lot of it comes down to like the the personality of the animal itself too because like we were saying you know Tim Watt cares about going outside and some other cats don't they they are motivated by food or 
comfort or um, affection, things like that, that all very important too. Uh, so if I think it's true of humans too, that some humans would have a higher tolerance for if, if you going outside meant that there was a 99% possibility that you were going to die, would you rather take the chance to be able to go outside and spend your life out there or stay safe and be under somebody else's control? 99% chance. I mean, so how, what are the chances that a domesticated house cat that's never gone outside before can survive outside or a dog, like you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, I had a cat that I never mind going outside because he would always stay within the yard. But mm. every time, I ever once told the cat would like go beyond the yard and that's always what got me worried. It's mm-hmm. like, I think it's because I had another cat that was an outside cat and eventually it ran away. And then it came back three years later and hung out for a bit. And then it's like, nope, fuck this. I'm I'm going again. It took off. But yeah, yeah. It, it is one of those tough things where the you want it to stay secure and you want it to enjoy itself, but also you want to protect it. So I feel like you have a, a good relationship and good perspective on that because you're also treating a animal, I don't want to say as if it's human, but as if this is another human or as if it's, it's like a partner, like a roommate. Yeah, and and that's always super fascinating to me too because like people people say like you're treating him like a human when really what I'm doing is I'm treating it with mutual respect and I don't think that has to be limited to just humans like other humans see oh well I would never treat an animal with respect like I would never treat an animal the same way I would treat a human but what they mean is like I would never treat an animal with the same level of respect that I do for a human and that to me is always fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. I think that they become part of your family. And so it's mm-hmm. like a family member. So you would treat them the way that you treat a family member. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I put his food bowl on the floor. I refill, I refill his <laughs> water bowl just like I would if my niece came over. I myself am afraid to get a pet because I don't want to watch that pet die. Yeah, that's definitely the worst part. But the every it's it it's worth it is the bottom line. Like the the time that you have with anything, like with something you care about, is heavily outweighs the the bad time of not having them. Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I think it's the argument. I mean. I sometimes think about that with dating too, because uh, for a little bit, like I was in this perspective of, you know, why date at all if all that's going to happen is we're going to break up and, you know, not, not not that I was like, you know, it could last forever. There's that possibility, you know, so I'm not mm-hmm. being totally pessimistic, but, you know, chances are, you know, out of all the people you find, you know, there's a good chance that the person you find you're going to break up with eventually. So what's the point of even dating if that's the case? And kind of the same thing, like perspective there. And it's kind of tough to get that, but yeah, I think, you know, if you see that there's potentially a light at the end of the candle and you blow that light and extinguish it and then just keep going, that that's all you need. Best metaphor Katie. I've done. Yeah. Light at the end of the, light at the, end of the candle. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. 
Um, so what, what's your, do you have uh, any perspective on that, on, you know, the inevitability? Hey, Katie, what's your perspective on the inevitability of death? Welcome oh, to my show. So glad you could come on. No, where's all the laughs, man? No, I just, honestly, I think that when you're looking at not doing something because there could be a not great outcome at the end, I think that right there is just your fear of being uncomfortable. And as somebody who hates to be uncomfortable, like I hate being fucking uncomfortable. My life is uncomfortable. Um, but I think that when you don't take risks or you don't push yourself to be uncomfortable, you're never going to grow as a person. So yeah, maybe you get into a relationship that ultimately isn't the right one for you, but you have to gain something, whether it's a terrible relationship or a good one. You're either going to know like that person is not fucking for me and I will never go there again. Or that person was great in this way, but it just didn't work out. Like, I think that no matter what experience you have, good or bad, you're learning, you're growing and you just have to be to push yourself to be uncomfortable to grow. I also think that you can't fully explore yourself without, say, access to extra stimuli because like. I think I'm pretty good at thinking and, you know, being all smart sometimes, but where I feel I am most able to explore the aspects of my personality and kind of think is when I'm in conversation with other people. And uh, like, it's an unfortunate side there because I wish I could do everything in, say, seclusion, but I can't because, you know, I'm not a secluded entity. Like, I, I need people to communicate the thing to kind of interact. And there's that dichotomous of, nature of you know maybe kill part of yourself to kind of expose it to other people like like you know you as a bit of yourself and other people and the world and that stuff also loses you because it becomes part of you then it loses itself i'm, I'm getting very pretentious here but it's kind of the whole <laughs> circle of life there we go that, that's how i'm gonna end that i i i love that i love both those perspectives do we um do we want to wrap topic and flip to flip to another one? Yes, that's what I was thinking. Uh, maybe we can. Maybe this time we'll have a focus focus topic and can have one that has jokes in it. Okay. Yeah, it. jokes. I'm all about jokes. <laughs> so Anna Thello is in the chat and she says, "Total agree with what she said." Well, thank you, Anna. I'm glad you agree with what I said. Uh, it's very appealing, you know, that people agree with me. Wait, are you identifying with the she in that? Well, I, I assume she just mistyped that and said meant he. <laughs> no. Make that assumption. She likes okay. me better. We have a plant. Uh, well, well, th this has been super fascinating uh, to talk about, and I think we should uh, we should have you on again, Katie. Yes, please. All right. Well, is there anywhere we can find you, Katie, or are you just a stranger in the night? I am just a full-on stranger in the night. Well, that's fair enough. I'm I'm glad you came on. Um, hey Nate, what do you think about a pet goose? Well, you know, I, I would just do this joke all the time. Where when I was ever so would see my my pet goose, I'd be like duck, duck, 
goose, like even though there's no ducks, but I'd like pretend there's ducks and like duck, duck, goose, and just keep doing it like every day. And then eventually the goose would get mad at me, but he wouldn't really know what I'm saying. But you're saying that he can understand the tone, so he knew I'd be kind of like making a dad joke, and he'd be like, oh, "Come on, dad!" But then wait, you're do- you're doing the joke to the goose? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, we need to talk. <laughs>